Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. We're continuing our series on wine influencers in the wine trade. And today we have a special guest, Taylor Wilson, who is also known as This Way with Tay. Welcome, Taylor. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you. Obviously, we've interacted a little bit over Instagram and you have an amazing following and you get some great engagement on your post. So we thought you'd be a perfect person to join and help educate the wine industry about influencers and how to work with them. Perfect. Yeah, I'm super passionate about it. So I am excited to share some of the secrets of the trade. So how did you get into wine in the first place? So I mean, starting at a young age, my family drank wine. My mom and her girlfriends, that was kind of their Friday thing. And then when my mom got sick, that ended up actually turning into the one thing that she got to constantly do through her sickness was she had a glass of wine every night. She drank it out of a straw and that was just her comfort. So that kind of made me go more towards the wine industry and trying it myself and learning why she loved it so much. And I fell in love with it as well. Wow. I can only imagine Robert and I on our, uh, when we're sick, drinking wine out of a straw as well. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it definitely was a progressive thing, but she finally gave it up about two years ago, but she held on to it as long as she could. That's awesome. Sounds very personal. Mm -hmm. So I see you've uh, done the WSET2. Was that before or after you started your wine Instagram account? That was after. So I actually wanted to do it about a year and a half, two years ago, but it just didn't really make sense being a real estate agent. And I didn't really know a lot about it. So I didn't feel comfortable kind of just jumping into it. But once I started my Instagram, I kind of wanted some street credit. And for people to know that, you know, I do know a little bit about what I'm talking about, at least. So I decided to finally do it. And I did it in Napa this last February at the Napa Valley Wine Academy. And did you find that beneficial when you were making content or interacting with wineries? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it helps them have an understanding that I actually am passionate, but I took the next step to get the knowledge so I can speak about their wines. I'm not just standing there holding a bottle, but when I am having a conversation with the winemaker, I still can hold that conversation and ask him educated questions and you know really get to understand their wine on a different level than just it tastes good. And then I can promote that to my followers and really give them a good idea of what the wine tastes like instead of just saying a basic term of it's great, go buy this. So I think it's definitely helped. And was that part of the inspiration for starting your blog or how did that come about? No, I actually wanted to start as a travel blogger and I tried. So my mom was a flight attendant and so I've had flight benefits my entire life. So I was able to just hop on a plane and go anywhere. Yeah, it was really nice. It definitely wasn't a bad life. I'd fly over to Amsterdam and get a puddle jumper to Jordan or Israel or Paris, London, anywhere I wanted to go, I could go. So I had some fun pictures from recent trips and I decided that I would, you know, kind of take this leap and people were doing it. So why couldn't I? And being a real estate agent, I worked from home most of the time. So I had the time to do it. But then when I started dating my boyfriend now, we did a lot of wine trips together. And I just decided I should probably, you know, focus on this. This will be a great outlet and we'll have a lot of content and it'll be really fun. So I jumped and it's worked out. (laughs) 
So it was kind of a joint passion between uh, originally coming from your mother, but then something you then carried forward with your boyfriend. We could really start to explore, especially in your local area. Yeah, so he's a WSET 3, and he is super passionate about wine as well. He actually just started drinking recently. It hasn't been a lifelong thing for him. So he kind of jumped in with both feet and is a big wine geek. And I love learning from him and being able to, you know, experience that together. It's so fun. We live 15 minutes away from Woodenville. So, you know, on the weekends, we can just go to a tasting room and pop in. And it's great to get a community here in Seattle or Bellevue where we live of people who love wine and share that passion. So it's been a really fun adventure. So right now you have a little over 18,000 followers on Instagram. I was wondering if you are on other platforms and what your thoughts are about each of the platforms that you're on. So I tried TikTok. It was embarrassing. <laughs> so, yeah, we're not going to do that ever again. I did do a bartending video making a margarita, and that's the only thing that I still have up because I'm almost 30 and I can't TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I did not yet, the, at least. <laughs> I did the Carol Baskin dance. I don't know if you remember that, the Tiger King one. Tiger King? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I took it down. It wasn't very cute. So I think Robert can only do it because he's got kids. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I just, it's really not for me. So I would love to be more active on Pinterest. I would love to do some YouTube. I just haven't done it yet. My blog is actually getting made next week or in the next two or three weeks. So once I have that up, I would love to start doing more channels. But right now I'm just on Instagram. Right. But you actually write a, a good amount of captions. So I mean, translating that into a full form blog is an easy segue. Yeah, I think that it will be great. And I could focus more on food and wine pairing recipes and kind of expand a little bit. I mean, I would love to someday even get into the fashion side. That's what my degree is. And I went to the Art Institute for Fashion Merchandising. So I think that that would be a really fun outlet for me as well. But right now I'm just trying to grow my following. (laughs) Nice. And, you know, you post a decent bit. How much time do you spend a week on your content? I mean, on my content alone, not that much. I mean, I take photos, edit them, write my captions. I actually write my captions the morning that I post them. I don't like to pre-plan my posts, which a lot of people do. And, you know, if we're going to go on vacation, then yeah, I will pre-plan some posts um, that I can post while we're there. So it's not taking up so much time. But I really love waking up and feeling creative and the authenticity that comes with, all right, this is what I want to post today. This is what's going on in my head and my life. And this is what I want to talk about. So I never want it to be, I mean, at some point, obviously, when you get bigger and bigger and bigger, I'm going to have to start to pre-plan some things. But I just love waking up and looking at what other people are doing in the day. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to post today. And I hope they like it. So I probably spend about 20 hours a week on Instagram. I mean, total engaging. Yeah. So it's half a job. Yeah, it is. Have you found that that takes away from the real estate or is that something that you're able to balance? So I actually stopped doing real estate and I just do my Instagram now. Really? Okay, great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It kind of worked out really well with COVID. So yeah, I guess yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So given your following, how often do wineries or wine retailers or other wine related businesses reach out to you? Um, I probably have 10 people a day that reach out at least wanting me to try their wines and they reach out Instagram, direct messages. Usually I do get like two or three emails today with collaborations, but sometimes those aren't all wine related. And so do they normally just 
ask you to send samples and post or what's that normal interaction like? So in the beginning, obviously, it was just samples and post about it. And it's kind of trickled into, we would love for you to taste our wines. But I was asked to move it over to email. And once again, it gets into the email, like it's a little bit more business. And they start to, you know, talk about a collaboration and working together. So I get about 50-50, I would say, about people just wanting to send me wine and have me try it. And then about business requests. Okay, so it's of the 10, it's about 50-50. So mm-hmm. in terms of, are the interactions, are they one-offs? Like, is it like, just try my wine and post about it? Or is it, or is there more like long-term collaborations? Like, I've seen you do a few things with Wine Access, which seemed like it was a, a run of things. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people will reach out and just say, hey, what's your address? We just want you to try our wine. And at this point, nobody asks me to post for free and just for, or for samples, I guess, right away. I haven't had that probably in three or four months of anybody asking that. So with Wine Access, I think I've worked with them three or four times and I've been grateful with them every time after I post, my engagement does so well for them that they immediately set me up for their next campaign. And it's just been like a running relationship, which has been really nice. And how does that relationship work? Do you, is it just about conversion to wine sales for them or is it something else? So they're a smaller company. And so I think just the awareness of their brand is huge for them, especially during COVID and the beginning of it with people staying home. I mean, they pivoted and they really got into the influencer marketing and different marketing on social media. And it worked really well for them. We, in the beginning, did a paid post price plus, you know, a price for every new customer that I got for them. And it did really well. So in terms of the interaction, so obviously there's running campaigns and things like that. And then I think what's really interesting is sort of the, the lift. Are you basically giving your users a custom code that they can use or is it, are they just tracking from the, the data when they link to a separate page on Wine Access or a winery? So I would do a link in bio or a swipe up. So they were able to track that. And one time I did have a code. So they've done it both different ways. And I'm not sure exactly which one works better. I mean, probably just, I mean, the tracking, that was the only, the first one was the only one that I did the pay per user. And is is paid per user the, an actual purchaser or is just someone who signs up for their email list? A purchaser. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I know Wine Access has a massive database of emails, Mm -hmm. but that would be right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not quite the same as purchasers. Yeah. And how many, t- in terms of its posting, they, is there regulations on what they want you to say or how the, or are they letting you have free form say over the content or are they asking you to do giveaways or affiliate programs or something like that? Like, what are the different mechanics behind like programs that they can, that wineries can work with you? Not necessarily specifically wine access, like any winery. Yeah. So I just did a giveaway with Love Jadot. Louis Jo, but their handle is Love Jadot. So that was for my one year anniversary, Instagram anniversary, whatever you want to call it. And I gave away two burgundy glasses from Zalto. And so their whole post was wanting to promote their brand. But instead of just posting about it, they wanted the engagement from followers. And instead of just wine sales, I mean, they're a huge house. They don't need more wine sales. They just need more knowledge about their brand and people actually liking it. So that way, when they see it in stores, 
they'll want to pick it up. So we did that giveaway and that did really well. They're really into that. I've also had a couple of brands that I've worked with in the past reach out recently saying that they wanted to do a sponsored or paid giveaway. So it's definitely different. I think in the beginning, when you first start working with a brand, they want to see how it goes. Of course, they want to see, you know, who helps them promote their brand as much and who are they really going to pay? I mean, there are a ton of us influencers in the wine industry. And so I've seen brands kind of dabble between the different channels. And once they start, once you do something with them, then it's great that they come back. And I've also done sponsored giveaways a couple of times in the beginning. That was fun. But, you know, coming companies, they want to promote their brand. They want to work with people who people follow and they actually trust. So I think that because of all the COVID, it's actually really helped the influencer market gain accountability and trust with wineries as well as their followers. So it's, I mean, it's definitely really helped us. Is there like a tiering, I guess I would call it, of the different types of influencer interaction or sponsored influencer interaction? Like is if you might think of it as like posts on the bottom and giveaway, then something else and something else? Or how do you think about that? You know, I would probably say paid posts would be at the top just because I think a lot of influencers, I mean, especially when they're starting out, heck, if you can give away something for free to people, like, you know, that's going to be great for your brand as well as the other brands. So I think that's the first thing that people are willing to do unpaid. Um, posts in the beginning for free product, of course, you know, you're starting out and it's fun and it's exciting and you're getting stuff sent to you for free to post about it. That's great. But once you actually start getting to the paid marketing, I would say stories, then probably the giveaways and then the post. Cool. Got it. Makes sense. And have you seen lower engagement on post or giveaways that you're doing where it's labeled as a paid partnership versus your posts that are maybe not as obvious that they're a specifically paid partnership, maybe something you are just posting on because you enjoyed it? Have you seen a difference in engagement? Actually, not really. On the giveaway, when you hashtag giveaway or contest, Instagram does block that a little bit. So I Got will it. say with that, it does. But when it comes to just paid sponsorships or when you hashtag ad, I've actually seen great engagement from it compared, I mean, very comparable to my other posts. I mean, there has been a couple posts that I didn't like my picture that much and it didn't do very well on a paid sponsorship. I mean, it still did great, but for my standard, it didn't do as great as I wanted it to. And, but then I've had ones that I'm like, Oh, you know what? That looks great. That represents the brand that represents me so well. And they've done just as good as my other posts have done. So and are brands ever asking you to post and then willing to reimburse you for promoting or boosting that post in order to get even a wider following or wider attraction? I haven't gotten that yet. So when you do the paid promotion and you tag that, then they can actually boost and promote that post on their own. Got it. But you're not aware if they've done that on their side. No, I've not. Well, that's actually not true. So Wine Access, it's funny. I was scrolling through Facebook and so is my boyfriend and there pops up a picture of me. And so they've boosted posts through Facebook and they've actually used my photos in other brand collaborations. Hmm. Interesting. So they have they have rights to that content. Mm-hmm. Got it. On that one they did, yeah. So what have been your most successful partnerships Wine Access has been my longest running partnership. So I will say that one probably. I am doing something with Burgundy coming up. So that one is probably going to be my best. I'm going to be doing three posts with them. And my favorite has been the Love Jadot giveaway I did. 
that one was great. And my followers got a great gift from it. And it was kind of an all around, that was probably the best one, the best one post I've done so far. And have you heard from any of the brands if they've done much tracking or sales or if your posts or stories have done a lot of impact? And could you, if you can, share with us the size of that kind of impact? I don't know exactly numbers, but every time after I post, I always send in my stats a week later to the brands to show them on my end what happened. And I've had plenty of brands write back and say that my posts have done great and they've had new followers or they've had new users who have wrote like written in saying that they heard about that brand from me. So that's always great to hear. I would love to start tracking it more. I think maybe now that I'm doing more sponsored posts, I would love to have that information. I mean, it would only help my business profile as well. But in the beginning, I was just excited to be doing it. So I need to hone down on that a little bit more. So if you're getting 10 leads a day and five of them are interested in doing business, how do you determine which ones you take? Because that, that volume, that's a pretty wide funnel. How do you determine which ones you want to partner with? Or do you have a criteria for which brands you want to work with or types of wines you want to work with? Or are you pretty much open to whatever comes your way? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely want to be authentic with my brand and my Instagram. I have never felt bad about a post that I did that was sponsored. And that's kind of how I want to go forward with it as well. I have enough that I don't need to pick something that I don't want to do. And I also don't want to do two things a week. I mean, that's the maximum that I would ever want to do, probably. I mean, I still want it to be about me and my wine journey. So I do say no to a lot of things. Um, I do say no to a lot of free wine because it's just not something right now that I have time or that I would like to review or promote. And that, you know, that does leave some people out and that is unfortunate, but it definitely is something that there are brands that I do want to work with and that I have tried their wines or I've loved their wines. And that's kind of what I use to go forward with that. Or if I haven't tried a winery's wine, I will have them and they do want to work with me on a paid sponsorship. I will have them send it to me first to make sure that it's something that I do want to promote. And then we go forward. Makes sense. And in terms of a couple other business questions I better have just thought of in terms of like you learning this business, like in terms of like making contracts, was there a lot of was there a big learning curve there? Or is this something that you've kind of you already had from your previous work experience that you were just able to leverage? Well, I used to want to be a lawyer growing up since I was like four years old. So now this is my jam. <laughs> but um, no. So in real estate, I wrote contracts. I didn't write contracts. I filled in contracts plenty for the last seven or eight years. So I felt pretty confident, but you know, signing, talking, being able to get through the legal part with people. I will probably at some point in the near future get a contract made for myself that I use instead of using brands contracts. I think that'll just be, you know, a better business strategy for me and kind of like what we were talking about earlier, how, you know, a brand used photos to do another brand opportunity for them. And, you know, that's great. I was super excited to do it. And I was so excited to see myself on Facebook and on a web page. So I'm totally okay with that. But going forward, I would definitely like to have my own contract made up. And so when a brand reaches out to you, do you have like a standard offering like price points? Or do you kind of dial that in per brand? Like if a mom and pop reaches out to you versus Wine Access or Louis Jadot? Yeah, so I have a, it's called a media kit. And I have my pricing on there for one post, you know, stories, couple posts, a long going relationship with all of my engagement stats, 
who my followers are by age, demographic, gender, a little bit about me. And so I always just send that out to people. And, you know, I mean, if it is a mom pa shop and they want to do a long going relationship with me, but right now for one post, they are scared or it's the first time, then yeah, that could be different and we could talk about it. But that would be the same for any brand. I don't think that you can just throw out a price and say that you're never going to work with somebody. So whatever it is, I just like to find what works with that brand or with their budget and with me, but also keep in mind what I've done for other people. And I want to be fair for the people that I've worked with before. So I definitely do have a starting point though. Got it. Okay. So you start with your media kit and you have some outline, some prices or tiers in terms of like what kind of packages you offer. But have you found that those you've been adjusting those as you've become more savvy about doing promoted posts that you started adjusting them and be able to ratchet them up because you're obviously saying no to a lot of people every day? Yeah, I've changed my media kit five or six times in the last four months. Wow. So, you know, I mean, the last four months, I've grown a lot. So as I grow, as I get more followers, as my engagement stays up and is probably one of the highest in the industry that we're in. I've definitely changed that. And I've, you know, had the help of other influencers talking to them as well as talking to brand reps and telling me what they'd be willing to pay me. And I was like, wow, I'm charging a lot less than I should be. So that's great. I mean, that's essentially the American dream. And the fact Mm -hmm. that you're you're figuring this all out and iterating on uh, that media kit is great. So let's talk a little bit about the, your following. So, you know, the following is only one part of it, but you have 18,000 plus followers. Who is your following? What is their like age group, gender, location? Yeah, so my gender is, I looked up this before, it's 65% men and 35% women, ages 25 to 54. So I have a pretty broad range. I would love to get more to that 50-50 and expand you know what I talk about. But for right now, I think that's great for what we're promoting. And they're mostly in the US, a lot of New York, Seattle, where I'm from, a lot of West Coast, Napa, but then London and Paris are the two international that are the highest. And do you look by country as well? By country? Let me see. I mean, US is definitely the highest, but... No Brazil, which we've heard a lot lately. Yeah. You'd be the first person who wouldn't have Brazil. (laughs) Oh, weird. So United States, Italy... France, United Kingdom, and then Brazil. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's been a surprise <laughs> to us, too. <laughs> they apparently love wine. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the that. ways that you've grown your following? You said you just started this a little over a year ago, right? Yeah, July 23rd was my first post, 2019. Wow. It's mm-hmm. grown to 18,000 in one year. Are there ways that you've figured out that you've been able to grow your following faster? Yeah, being consistent is definitely number one. Posting regularly, engagement, actually commenting back to every comment that you get on a post, even if you have to go back four or five days and you know re-up on that. That's really important. Also, finding like people in the community to engage with. In the very beginning, I was reaching out to all the wine blogger girls that, you know, I looked up to and that was great. They were all so nice. And so also just kind of, you know, giving back in that way to the new wine influencers and really just gaining a community and relationship. That's helped a lot. Also, replying to DMs is a really big thing. Instagram loves that. Unfortunately, I do get 
some DMs that I, I don't reply to. A little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, if it's more than, you know, just something that's not appropriate, I will always engage. And, you know, I'm always there to talk about wine. I actually have sent voice memos to people. It's easier for me. And I feel like it's more personal as well. So it's really building a community and having people trust you. And so they want to share you with their friends and people in the business. That's really helped. I didn't know Instagram tracked DMs. Yeah, if you don't engage through DMs, and if you just delete everything, then unfortunately that hurts you so it did scare me for a little bit and I felt almost like victimized that I had to reply to these people but you know I mean it's worked out I'm not gonna do just for engagement I'm not gonna you know talk to people like that (laughs) it's been fine it's worked out yeah I don't think anybody should be forced to talk to anybody just for to move some metrics so as you've been growing your following I mean obviously you've had a pretty you know, meteoric rise. What are some of the mistakes you've made that you could give advice to other people who are kind of getting into this space? So the number one mistake you can make is after posting, not replying or commenting on other people's and not engaging that if you just post and you just leave it up and think that it's going to do well, it's not, it's probably not going to hit the explore page. So people aren't going to be able to find you and start following you if they like your content. So that's, I mean, I've done that a couple of times if I've been busy and my post didn't do good. So that's something I definitely, I spend 15 minutes before kind of engaging with people on my feed who I follow. And then afterwards, I make sure for a good 30, 45 minutes that I sit there and reply to every single person that comments on my photo. If I want to treat this like a job. I mean, those are my customers pretty much in a sense. The wineries aren't my customers. These are my customers. So I need to treat them like it. Also not posting for a whole week. They're my birthday. I was like, I'm going to take a week off. I've been posting every day. I've been spending so much time and it took a long time to get back to where I was. It took two and a half months to get back to the rise that I had. So wow. I keep thinking, I'm like, man, if I didn't take that week off, where would I be now? <laughs> so don't do that. Wow. Yeah. I tried it a while ago. I took a month off and it, oh, and wow. that was, and it was just to see, I actually did it as an experiment to see what it would do. And it took about 3x, 4x the time to recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's not worth it. So if that's what, you know, if you need to take time off, spend the month before writing content and getting it ready. So that way you can just post. Cause even if you can't engage, posting is better than not posting. So that's what I've learned. There's been times in the beginning that I was so critical about my posts and what I looked like. And I've just, been able to get over that and be confident that, you know, I'm posting quality content that people want to see. Maybe not everybody, but, you know, I have a great following and just posting and showing up for them is better than hiding behind not wanting to post. And so talking about your content strategy, like how are you treating stories and posts differently? Are you a lot more prolific in stories? I mean, I I tend to go stories first and then look at posts afterwards, but I'm just curious if you had a, how do you break down your content strategy? I'm really bad with stories. Unfortunately, that's something that I do need to work on. This last Sonoma trip, I've done the best on stories than I've ever done. I was really in the moment with what I was doing and I got a lot of great feedback from that. Sometimes I have not posted stories and tried to post them later after I get home and, you know, I get busy and I start doing other things or posting on stories about other things and I forget to talk about a winery that I loved going to. So I have definitely tried to be more in the moment in stories lately. And on my posts, I post from whiles back and I definitely like to have more funny, amusing captions sometimes that borderline 
inappropriate, but that's just, <laughs> it's funny to me and this is an outlet. So if I post a dad joke and it means nothing to do with the wine and it's just fun for me, but then, you know, I'll talk about the wine underneath it or talk about something related to the post, but I definitely use my posts more as my outlet and my stories more as knowledge or talking about something that I loved in a wine or a winery that we went to. So when you make content, do you think about how it'll resonate with your audience? Do you audit it and try to adapt going forward? Or is it you just post what your gut tells you you should be posting? Yeah, I definitely just post what my gut tells me to post. Like I said, I write my captions the morning that I post them. And when I take photos, I just take, you know, photos of what I'm comfortable in, the poses that I'm comfortable in. There was a laughing thing going on a couple months ago, the Tay pose. I only have one pose. And for a while I did because I was comfortable and it's just, it's what I want to post. I think I would go crazy if I thought about what people wanted to see all the time. So whatever I like and whatever I think is fun or cute or entertaining. That's what I'll do. And I hope that people like it and it's worked out so far. So I think that's just what I'm going to keep doing. I haven't tracked. Well, it's actually not true. I did track a couple posts that didn't do well. And some of them I understood maybe, okay, lighting, you know, wasn't good or you couldn't really see the wine or something like that. But then there's been times that I was shocked that a post didn't do good. So I've kind of just let that go and post what I want to post. And I definitely think more conscious when I'm working with a brand of what's appropriate to post for them. Yes, that is true. But when it's just my own content, I just throw it up there. And have you seen some of your posts or some types of posts have better engagement than others? Yes. Maybe different poses or something? (laughs) Different clothing. The (laughs) V-necks do me good. Let's just say that. (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but... You can say it. I'm saying it. No, I mean, I think it's it's you. And as long as you're comfortable with it and it's your content, I mean, I think it's, we were joking. We were on an Instagram live. Use them, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were on an Instagram live together and you're like, it's eight o'clock in the morning that we were going to saber a bottle of champagne to get individually, but uh, over an Instagram live with someone else. And you're like, I'm wearing my robe. I'm like, Oh, well shit. I, I, <laughs> I better come in a tuxedo if you're wearing the legendary uh, Taylor Wilson robe. The infamous robe. Yes. No, I mean, that's fun. Why not? I mean, it gets people talking. It's it's funny. I can't take myself too seriously. So if I want to go saber at eight o'clock in the morning in a robe and have a good time, go for it. My neighbors probably thought it was crazy, but that's okay. They can follow me and they can figure it out. <laughs> I think I, I remember in one of your stories one time or something, you, you had an explicit joke about that too, about, uh, you know, what drives some of your content and it just made me bust up laughing. <laughs> Yeah, I think my favorite caption was, what kind of milk do bees like? Boobies! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an Al Bundy dad joke, maybe. (laughs) I don't know, my dad had a good sense of humor, so... So when you think about using your content to extend your audience, obviously Instagram is very visual and having a good image is important, but also thoughts on like looking at your posts in terms of like what you're doing with hashtags to try to capture a wider audience. Or is that something you're looking into on a regular basis? In the beginning, I used a lot of the hashtag generators and I would go through and I actually made a list probably two months in of small hashtags that had 
zero to 65K, medium 65 to maybe 200. And then above that was a large and then extra large a million plus. And in the business or in the wine industry or whatever I was posting about, I made like sections on a Word document of all the hashtags that fit into that. And each time I'd post, I'd pull, you know, a few from each. That way I had a different like array and I wasn't just hashtagging wine every single time. Because when you're small and when you have a thousand followers or, you know, 200 followers or even three or 4,000, you're not going to show up under wine or under wine influencer, under wine blogger, like people with more engagement or like myself now. So that really helped me in the beginning, I think, and gave me exposure. Also with hashtags, you know, you can find hashtags and you can find other people in the wine community who post about wine and start engaging with them. And that's a great way to grow your community, grow your followers. So hashtags are a great thing. These days, I only post... I mean, I post under 20. In the beginning, I was posting 30. Some people say the magic number is 7 to 14. But, you know, you never know. Instagram changes every single day. So once again, we drive ourselves crazy. Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm kind of torn on the on the hashtag. I think the I think of those as, as like breadcrumbs to find your content. And why would they give you 30 if they didn't want you to use 30 unless they weren't relevant? Trying to like gain the whatever super trending hashtags, that's not going to help you if you just post all those. It has to be, the content has to match those hashtags to some extent. Exactly. In the beginning, I think hashtags do really help. But once you get to a certain bracket in your niche, like at this point, people aren't going to find me from hashtags probably. So it's, it is, it's kind of like up in the air. I don't know if they help. I don't know if they don't, but I would say if you're starting out, it is a great tool to gain exposure and to find other people in the community. Yeah, that's super smart. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to evolve your strategy as you grow in size and grow in engagement. I'm assuming you get, if you look at your post, you probably, a lot of, most of your posts almost get onto the Explorer page is my assumption. Yeah. Every one of my posts do now. And so I'm curious on your content strategy. So obviously, if you're looking at your posts that do well, and we talked a little bit about this, as you get more likes, how do you make sure you're still posting content that is what you want to post versus what will do well? Like, it's always like this kind of battle in, I think, in a content creator's head of like, I know this will resonate, but I really want to talk about this. Like, how do you steer the content? How do you battle with, how do you struggle with those battles in your head? I mean, I definitely love to post fun and cute pictures. And I think those do really well. Certain outfits do better than other outfits, but I also love those outfits, so I'm fine with it. But I use the captions and the things that I speak about. That's my outlet. That's my creativity. So if I have to post a certain look in a photo every single time to promote that creativity, I'm okay with that. And that's my balance. I never talk about something that I don't want to talk about, or if it is a paid sponsorship. I'll talk a little bit, you know, about what they want to talk about. But even today, I talked about my bald eagle that we have that flies around our house in my paid sponsorship. And I turned it around to be me and not just verbiage from, you know, another product that I'm promoting. So I definitely try to throw that in every single time I post. And that keeps me creative and it keeps me wanting to keep moving forward and posting every single day. So do you have advice for brands on how best to interact with you or other social media influencers? I would definitely say email influencers. Our inboxes, or at least mine, is full all the time. I have so many requests and a lot of the time it goes to requests and I don't get through them for a week. And that looks bad on me. But at the same time, like I talked about earlier, sometimes 
my inbox is full of, you know, messages I don't want to respond to. So I take my time to respond to those. So email, everyone's email is on their Instagram if they're a brand or creator. So if you are a winery or a brand wanting to work with somebody, then, you know, show them the same respect that you would to any other person you're trying to reach out to and just email them. And I'll probably get back to you a lot faster if it's in my inbox versus my Instagram direct messages. Also, find people who engage with their followers because if they don't, then, you know, they're not going to help promote you. You're going to pay them for a post and it's going to be over. And when somebody does message them about something that you just posted about, they're probably not going to promote it in messages too. There is a lot that goes on behind a post to get people to go buy your wine or get people to go to your winery. So definitely look for that and know that Instagram marketing is a great tool to use for the channel that you're getting into. It's so much cheaper than other channels. And if you just throw up a picture on your Instagram or you pay some big company to promote you, people don't already follow or they don't trust those people. But when I say that I actually really enjoy wine and I'm going to choose that wine out of the 700 bottles of wine I have downstairs to drink tonight, you better know that it's going to be good. And if it's not good, I'm going to toss it. I'm going to go get another one and I'm going to post that one instead. So people trust us. So it's a great tool to use for your business. Awesome. So as we wrap up every episode, we ask all of our guests to talk about what do you think is a lasting trend in the social media influencer space and versus a fizzling fad, something that will go away? Well, right now, I definitely think a lasting trend is the Zooms and the Instagram lives with wineries. I mean, I'm going to bring it to the wine side. That is not going away. People are loving it. When I talk to wineries, they are saying that they've had more direct-to-consumer sales in that market than they ever have before. So that's awesome. And when you can bring somebody like myself to promote that for you, I mean, think about the sales that you're going to get. So I definitely think that that's going to be a lasting trend. Also, I think promoting or people are wanting to find really good wine for a lot less price. So I think that's going to be a great trend that's going to keep going. People aren't working as much right now. People are staying home. They're drinking a lot more than they used to. So their budget for wine is not as big as it once was maybe, or it is, but they need to double the amount that they're buying. So I think (laughs) that's going to be a great market for people or a trend for influencers to kind of stick with. And in terms of a fizzling fad, something that you think is like happening right now, but will fade away. I'm going to get crucified for saying this. Go for it. Rosé. I think we're stop drinking rosé or just the hype around rosé is going to go away. I just think that the hype around rosé, I mean, it's summertime and without the millennial pool parties and people promoting that outlet, I just don't see it being what it was at some point. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I love rosé. I don't get me wrong. But yeah, I definitely think people who are just promoting rosé it's just not going to work anymore. I think people are finding great wines that are different. And now that they're home more and now that they actually have access to have promotion and learn about new wines or do Zoom meetings where they get three bottles of wine and two of them are whites and they love them, they can drink those in the summer too. I think there was a big facade in the last couple of summers that rosé all day was the only way to go. And you know, now you go into a grocery store and all the rosés are $20 and they're not that good. I mean, there's some of them that are great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love rosé. I want to keep repeating that. I love rosé. <laughs> Provence rosé all day. I'll say that. 
but it's definitely a fad that I think is going to change a little bit. So if that's all you're promoting, they got to got to pivot. I did think we hit peak rosé when New York had a rosé mansion or something, something like Mm. that. It was like a tour mansion of rosé and it's like, okay, I think we may have hit peak rosé at this point. I feel like I made a major life mistake and I have to get my rosé all day tattoo removed now because of this prediction. Oh, I have one too. You didn't know that? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So, well, Taylor, thank you for being so open and candid. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of wine brands and people in the wine trade will benefit from everything you've explained to us today. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you guys for having me. This was so fun. It was my first podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers.